Hello, everyone, and welcome to Writers Drinking Coffee. This is a podcast based on writers sitting around drinking something and talking about <laughs> writing, publishing, and the whole creative process. We do not censor ourselves, so consider us PG-13. Your hosts today are Karen and Chaz Brinchley and me, Jeannie Warner. This is episode 33, Mystery and Crime. <laughs> dum, dum, dum. I really wanted to talk about the. I picked the topic this week because last week, as you know, because you, I'm sure you all listened to us carefully, <laughs> we were talking about word counts. And as we were talking about the different things on word counts, I found an interesting blog, uh, Bruce Cantwell's blog out there, talking about numbers. And he was saying thriller novels these days, the modern thriller novel, look at the Tom Clancy and the others, run into 100,000 words. But I went and picked up my copy of Mickey Spillane's The Deep, which I can't stand, but I also can't stand to throw out. Can't tell you why. It's very confusing. And it's a tiny little book. It's like a dime store paperback novel. So it, Bruce brought up the thing of what if what if F. Scott Fitzgerald had been told, well, The Great Gatsby's all right, but can you give me another 52,096 words? You know, let's, let's get that to push that over the top. So... How much is enough? What is enough when you're uh, writing crime? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, that is not particularly an issue about the genre. That's an issue about publishing. Um, commercial realities dictated that in the 30s and 40s and 50s, um, novels were short. Um, the same commercial realities dictated in the 70s and 80s that novels should be longer um, and and then with the sort of writerly inflation that came around, particularly, and I'm sorry to say this, but it is absolutely true with the advent of word processors rather than typewriters, um, suddenly, yeah, we were writing 150,000 words, um, and it was easier to publish them than, than edit them. There's a there's a famous quotation out there, I'm sorry this letter is so long, but I didn't have time to write a short one. I think that was Mark Twain, wasn't it? I think... Or it's attributed were, to it's, him. It's, it's one of those things. I mean, you, if, you, if you produce any clever quote these days, somebody's going to say, oh, that's Mark Twain, yeah, and, and point at the internet. Um, I can't remember who it actually was. Uh, but it is, you know, it is, it is true that I, I wrote a 150,000-word fantasy novel in about four months. Um, my shortest novel ever is barely 70,000 words, and that one took me nine months. It's, it's harder work to write within a, within a closer context. I can see that. And we did, again, in previous episode, talked a little bit about how you need the extra space for world building. However, okay, so one of the things, I read a lot of mysteries as well as science fiction. I, I know it's it's a sin here, but... <laughs> it's anyway. not a sin! But anyway, um, and I write, I, I read um, all sorts, okay, and there in each one is world building. One of my favorite series is by Barbara Hamley. And it um, starts with a free man of color, and it is about um, it, it's set in New Orleans um, at a time when being a free black man was very dangerous because slavery was still a thing. 
that's world building. The main character is a doctor from France, a black man, doctor from France, who must come and play the piano for money in New Orleans because no one will hire him. Lots of world building. However, her novels are not huge fat novels, okay? They're still, I can't tell you how many word counts, but they're still, you know, reasonable um, small size. On the other hand, another series I like, Don't Choke Jazz, is the um, one written by an American about the British uh, um, Earl Thomas Lindley, whatever, who happens to work for Scotland Yard, even though he's an Earl. It's American love Earls. And, I'm choking um, here. <laughs> yeah, he's choking here. And she does lots and lots of world building about her version of England. And Yes. And I'm not sure England really needed rebuilding in that way, <laughs> but hey. But anyway, they're um I really like them. They seem to be they seem to be popular, though I don't think she's come out with one recently. So um however, mysteries as you know, the the one about the mystery series where the cat is the sleuth half of the time, the mystery about everyone collects yarn. You know, the, 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 I'm not making this stuff up. I don't up. think I've read that one. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, but these, these ones, these are just set in, you know, house, they're, they're set with housewives, okay, or, you know, the, the women's sleuth ones, those tend to be smaller, and I wonder if that is related to romance, the same, we were talking about that too, um, you know, you don't have a big fat romance, okay, you also, I think, this, if this is, if this is aimed at the same audience, I'm not, a publisher, um, but it would make sense that they would be along the same lines in terms of, of length and, and portability. Yeah, those, those books are, are within the cozy tradition, and the cozy tradition has always run shorter than the sort of the um, grimdark of police procedurals or thrillers. Um, How long are vowels? Vals are up there in the 100,000 plus. He means Val McDermott. I do. He's Just a good in friend. case anybody was wondering. Um, but, 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 but I was going to say something gorgeously important and evocative. Well, I, I think for me, I wanted to think about it in terms of rip this apart to the bones, if you yeah. don't mind for a moment. Sure. Agatha Christie. Yes. Murder on the Orient Express. 50,900 yes. some yeah. odd words. Sure. So... That if you if I took about one of the one of the great modern big hundred page history and said fifty eight thousand of it is an investigator talking to people because talking to people is what advances a plot um, and description of events which you know you need to set a scene and you need to describe and you need new information and then you move on to the next scene. How do you write that part of it? I mean, we can. I, I presume that we can all, with practice, go through and pad anything. We can take... I, I would love to rewrite Raymond Chandler in a more interesting way. Sorry, Raymond. <laughs> but to add, you know, the smell, the look, the feel, mm -hmm. the, the tactile things that interest yeah. us as modern people. Sometimes for a modern audience to interject a little bit of humor mm -hmm. or something to to make somebody more human and approachable because... All of the film noir detectives were a bunch of bastards. Mm -hmm. But you can't write a girl as a bastard because, you know, nobody will read it, they tell me. So how do you, you know, how would you pad it? What, what do you need at the very basis of the bones of a whodunit? How did you write one? How did you write your first one, Jess? Um, I have never technically written a whodunit. 
okay. in that sense that you start with a crime and through the process of the book, following clues, you figure out who done it. I've not done that. But um, you've done a what's going on. I have done a what's going on. Which in many ways can amount to the same thing, yeah, sure, although it's sure, not sure. quite the room full of people with the accusations at the end. Yeah, um, but as usual, um, you know, I am I am the outlier, I am the heretic, I don't follow. And when my, when my first agent um, was talking to me about the kind of books she thought I should write, she said... Consider writing a crime novel. And you know how you do that, of course. You, you start at the back and work forwards. Um, Sounds like your agent is actually your conciliary, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're not um, really just an agent. They're more like, they're your lawyer and you're yeah, the oh, great totally. Don. A, a, good, a good agent is all sorts of things. A travel agent, as well as a, <laughs> um, my, um, my first agent, again, um, had, a, had a client... Um, who was being sent by her publisher on a um, publishing t- on a book a book tour of New Zealand, mm-hmm. um, and and she phoned Carol in a, in a in a bit of a crisis and said, "I don't want to go all the way to New Zealand on my own." Don't worry, dear," said Carol. "Of course, I'll come with you." <laughs> um, so they went to New Zealand together, and when they got back, I asked Carol what it had been like, and she said. It's a very long way to go to spend three weeks in 1950s England. <laughs> well, I think New Zealand is beautiful. I so at the very it. least, you should drive around New Zealand yes. and get lost a number of times. Certainly. And I thought that was just, just heartwarming that, that um, the agent was willing to go. Willing to go. Willing she to go, was, traveling was, to yes. for three weeks to a, to a yes. different place. And yes. It was just so thoughtful. Almost certainly not at her own expense. Yeah. <laughs> so, so here's the thought. Hello. We're writing, if we were going to be rewriting The Murder on the Orient Express yes. today... As a thriller, which it may be. So I have 58,000 words of bones here. Do you think, where would you plant clues? Would you add things? Would you add pieces? I mean, let's say you've finished one and you think to yourself, this is gorgeous, it's the perfect murder mystery novel, and it's 60,000 words, or wait, it's 50,000 words because I wrote it for NaNoWriMo. Like plugging for those of you Uh who wrote something in Uh NaNoWriMo. 50,000 words is not a modern novel it's not no what might we recommend is looking at do you think check your strings did you use the did you tie up all your strings did you use the gun on every mantle of Chekhov's fireplace did you what I would go with so you've got I, I'm assuming you're talking about we have one character one point of view character whether um, first or third person who is solving the mystery okay or the very evil second person that I can't stand. Yeah, but or um, sorry. I would add. I would add more. I would add more about the people. I would expand the people because they are just puzzle pieces. You know, it's like Miss Scarlet and and you know, yes. Colonel Mustard and that kind of thing from Clue. It's um, I would give them more personality because, and but unfortunately, if you're going through through the dour. You know, just the facts, ma'am, kind of policeman, you're not going to get that from that point of view. You're, the, the main character is going to have the, 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 pro- the problem solver, the policeman, yeah. whatever, is going to have to change because 
the one of the reasons you can get away with such spare um, such spare novels is because the text is spare because the main character is only focused on these things. You don't get and, you don't, and, yeah, yes, no conflict. And, and, yeah. and, and the um, the witnesses and so forth that he interviews or she interviews are again one dimensional mm-hmm. and and only have one point of view, which which it is our detective's job to chisel out. Um, yeah, um, I would like at this point to raise the glorious spectre of Dorothy L. Sayers, who is the I one... I love her. Yeah, yeah, we all love oh her. God. I was thinking um, of her she is, <laughs> she is the one um, crime writer of the Golden Age who genuinely wrote about people. I mean, her first books are slender... Um, the first one, whose body is it's probably fifty thousand words, um, and and they they rapidly expand because she needs the room because she starts introducing actual characters. Because she did not write um, a mystery, she wrote novels she wrote with, the, novels, with right. detective interruptions. Yeah, I mean, that's the, uh, it's particular towards the end of the end of the series. Um, I, I, I got to say, in some yeah. of them. I have I have tackled a couple of the longer ones that are thrillers these days, yes. like The Hunt for Red for October and a yeah. couple others. And one of the challenges for me sometimes is the one dimensionality still yes. of the hero, um, but, 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 and, but, but, of the hero in particular. Now they're starting to maybe it's that to add it ten thousand pages just on you know pages. Yeah, ten thousand pages. I'm saying I'm doing ten thousand pages on the personality of the people. Who's, I mean, the, the complex. You mean words? Well, I hate words. Whatever. Um, but 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 this no. Water, I, I swear. The, the, hunt, the hunt for Red October is um, a whole separate sort of issue because those are that's a military thriller rather than anything remotely right. resembling a crime novel. Um, but if you look at um, oh god, let's look at Thomas Harris. Um, he, <laughs> yeah, um, I love Thomas Harris, um, but his his characters are uh, complicated without being complex. I think, mm. um, yeah, there is. It it is because of him that I wrote the Bluebirds. What? It is because of him that I have a publishing career. Yeah. Um, because I had this long talk with my first agent, and she said, Chaz, what do you want to write? And I said, well, uh, I love Dick Francis, but I don't want to write about horses. Um, I love, I love um, John le Carre, but I don't want to write about spies. Um, I love Stephen King, but I don't want to write horror, yada, yada, all through this. Right. Um, and she said, hmm, have you ever read Thomas Harris? And I said, who? And she said, he's, he's an American crime thriller writer. Um, I've just agented his book, Red Dragon, over here, she mm. said. Um, take this away, she said, tossing a copy at me, and read it, because I think you could do something similar. Um, so I took it away, and I read it, and and then I wrote my first novel. I mean, it took me four years, but nevertheless. Um, well, I, I owe the silence of the lambs of sitting there watching it. Right. And I was watching it with my friend who was a parole officer in Denver. And at the end of it, I said, well, thank goodness there's no serial killers in Denver. And he looked at me <laughs> a little sideways and said, Jeannie, there's two. <laughs> what? <laughs> said, oh, yeah, there's at least two, minimum two in almost every major city because 
what they did is they killed homeless people and yes. they killed prostitutes yes. and they killed yes. the people that don't make the papers. Yes. And so that is that is my social justice warrior, if no. you like, of a, of a murderer, oh. because she gets mad that yes. nobody cares. Yeah. People kill and nobody cares. To be fair, the great British serial killer of um, of of my youth um, killed prostitutes in Leeds, which is not a not a city that's commonly um, in the news much. And it was it was front page for however long he went on doing this. Um, they may only have been prostitutes, according to the press, but nevertheless. But to what you just said. Yeah, I know. I did that deliberately. Okay. Yeah. Right. Um, just anything, you know. This. Yes. Time, timeliness. You, know, you would talk about uh, where we care very much that a thirteen-year-old died in a helicopter crash, but you know, what about the thousands that are dead of influenza this year? Or in cages, or or in cages, yeah. you know exactly. One, yes, one death is a tragedy. A thousand deaths is a statistic, which means why we look into murder mystery novels because they're all about one death at a time, and yeah. we right. can our emotions can compass it, and we can empathize, and we yeah. can wrap ourselves around one at yes. a time. Yeah, even if they're in a string like sure. twenty four or one of the others, or. So now we need a murder mystery or a murder movie, murder movie about one child dying and they're having to in in the cages and they're having to solve that mystery and um, maybe and they need a reason to solve that mystery for and they instance. need a reason to solve that mystery and like and they're fighting the, all the complexities of the um, bureaucracy and the military and da 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 da, da. Yeah. we don't want anything there investigated well especially yeah. oh fuck like, this is a book people. I know and we're yeah, so, and then here we are saying okay well, we have to do the why would somebody care and it almost has to be a story like. Wasn't it one of the leaders of the NAACP had somebody try to give her guff on an air? She was asked to give up a seat. Oh, yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I on a train yeah. and, and without any, without saying anything. But, but something like this, yeah, you'd have to figure out that maybe the mother of the child had been fleeing South America, because, but her husband was important or somebody and they're after her and she has special knowledge and, you know, there's your plot. And a vacationing mistress of the Mercer guy or something. <laughs> yeah. So. It, yeah. But, and that's, so there's, we're talking about it. This is how we might plot it, writing a synopsis. So there she is. She goes Look. over. And then you have to decide to MacGuffin or not to MacGuffin. I have never made that decision in my life. No? Um, 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 you might have to explain it. A MacGuffin is a magic thing. Horcruxes, or it doesn't even have to be magic. The Maltese Falcon was a MacGuffin. An object that has a clue. I need the secret key. Somebody has the object. The object that is the most important piece and advances the plot as the need to acquire it or do something with it. In yeah. terms of a MacGuffin, so yeah, that's just, that's a very fair definition. Yeah, um, but I certainly I don't plot my books that way. Yeah, the plotting around a MacGuffin is, I suppose, it might be easier sometimes. Like we have to find this. Yeah, it's a classic fantasy trope. Is it? I mean, I suppose you have to find the clue that will reveal yeah, strange the killer. women lying in ponds distributing MacGuffins. Right. Yeah. You know, exactly. Or, or Treasure Island, let's find the magic chest, or, you know, yeah. or the chest of gold. The black spot. Yeah, I mean, that, that's the standard. I love standard. Treasure Island. Yeah, well, that's the, the standard thing, yeah. is you're looking for a, a thing. thing. 
What? You're looking for a thing. Everything, you know, you know, you must talk to all the people. You must go all the distance. You must, you know, change your body. I have no idea, but you must, you know, to get to the MacGuffin. Um, which it's is almost a classic D and D treasure trope, really. It is. Yes, it is. You know, it is. Yes, yes. But that's what a, the murder mystery is. The MacGuffin yeah. is who done it. Right. Okay. It comes down to it's who done yeah. it. Oh, hang on. Is the MacGuffin who done it, or is the MacGuffin the clue that reveals who done it? I think. I think it would one. usually be the clue. The smoking gun. A smoking yeah, gun the smoking is smoking gun. Okay. That makes yeah. sense. That yeah. makes sense. And and that's the if you're trying to find the the who done it, and we all I think. In America, we all watched Columbo when we were younger. Well, just one more thing, just one more yes. question. You know, at yes. the end, we, Kojak. In, or, in the UK, we also watched Columbo. Oh, excellent! Um, or Quin, Quincy MD was the same thing that used forensic medical investigation to try to solve crimes. So. Okay, in the UK, we did not watch Quincy MD. They had that one show. My mother M. was just medical examiner. Yeah. Oh, sorry. My, but my my mother was so entranced by that it had. Macmillan and wife one one week, and you know someone else the next week, and someone else the third week. Colombo might have been one of them, but mm. I don't I don't think so. But it was it was those kinds of shows that were just so popular. What about Dick and Dora? You know the Thin Man. What about Nick and Nora? Yeah, yeah, Nick and Nora the Thin Man. Um, um I don't know what there this was is the saint. Um, the saint. Oh yeah. Oh, I remember the saint. There was a whole series of how do you Leslie wrap up each one of those in one small episode, which. To a certain extent, if you view Darkly Dreaming Dexter season one as basically the first book, yeah. season two is this, you know, what? and so they broke it apart that way. So yes. yeah, that's if you, standard. If you're, if you're thinking to yourself, I want to write something, here is my arc, here are my pieces, here's mm. my chapter way of getting there. No. You know, episodically writing is another way to approach it, I suppose. Yeah. Because in the end... There's a big crime I'm trying to solve, but I could solve a lot of little crimes along the way. Look, yeah. You know? Yeah. I don't have to be a murder detective. I could be a postman just trying to figure out what's happened to, you know, yeah. Yeah. who are all these going for. So what's going to happen next, I suppose, is a better way instead of what's going, who did it? It's more like what's going to happen next is where you need to create this suspense. Of, well, one of the things that... Because, because yeah, it's exactly what's going to happen next. Mm. Um, we just watched season four of Veronica Mars, which I love. Veronica Mars, or the latest season, whatever the the brand yeah. new season. Yeah. And there were bombs, okay. And so there was a new bomb every episode. And where does that come from? And, and so that you know, there's a new little crime. You know, there's a new something um, that comes along. And one of the um, one of the other things I've noticed in. Uh, Mystery novels is the um, main character will have a love interest who often in the first book meets the love interest. In the second book, the love interest becomes involved and becomes a someone for the bad guy to attack. Okay, so, so there's and things like that. It's like Batman and Robin, the boy hostage. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I know. <laughs> yeah, or <laughs> um, I'm sorry, but but there was. Long ago, the second Robin, and everyone hated the second Robin, and DC Comics said, you can vote whether or not to kill him, and it was 25 cents a call for the vote, and they voted, and he died, and then they brought him back. Dan DiDio, um, who was in charge of, of DC, brought it back, and at a convention, someone came up to him and said, I want my quarterback. <laughs> 
Excellent. Sorry about the sorry about the digression, but yeah, side, sidekick status seems to be an interesting. You know, does does every, every successful thing needs a needs sidekick? A, well, or? No, I mean, obviously, if you look if you look at the fictional record, um, the answer is no, because um, Agatha Christie. Um, I mean, okay, Hercule Poirot has a sidekick, but Miss Marple does not. Um, and um, well, well so it depends um, on Lord the Peter doesn't. Lord Peter doesn't really have a sidekick. <laughs> Um, but they but they live alone and they're they're ordinary people. Look at the police detectives. Right. There's always the, the the detective and the assistant. I mean, it, it's the environment. There. Um, well, it's, it, lives it, alone. we get into buddy. Can you do a buddy novel? Murder mystery is an interesting question. Can you do a but? It's sort of like the buddy novel crime. You do it the other way around. You can like Truman Capote wrote on In Cold Blood from the yeah. things where they were the. The two kids together that were buddy criminals. Yes. So, buddy, the buddy system is could be very important for both for good or evil sure. within the system. Yeah. You know, what if it's not one? What if it was really his wife? What if it was really his kid and they were covering for him? You know, there's a lot of options for buddy action. Well, and in in yeah, and in and what if it's two killers? I mean, because I was I. On, a, on the movie, on, on a cross-Atlantic movie, I saw a horrible, horrible true life story about the two little boys who killed a third little boy. Oh, kidnapped oh, him oh, and oh, killed oh, the it. British thing. Yeah. Yes. I mean, it's just horrible. Um, I'm sorry you had to watch that. Yeah. <laughs> and the, but, it, but it creates an interesting true crime, which brings us to, you know, a brief, let's, let's end this with a brief talk about true crime novels of taking something that you know happened and filling in with the, well, this is the supposition and this is what we wonder and this is what we can't know and this is what we might know. And there's those also have some power and writability. I'm sure that's true. I don't think I've ever read one. No, I haven't either. In, in Cold Blood, Truman Capote. Oh, no, 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 no. I think, I think that's a different thing. Hmm. Um, in Cold Blood is, um, it's an exercise in literature. Um, it's not a. It's not a true crime novel. It's it's it's, um, it's Truman Capote, approaching a true crime, and writing about it, as best he can, um, and sure. creating thereby the whole true crime genre. I think I don't think there was one before. Yeah, I, I was going to say I would consider it a crude, true crime novel as the first one. Yeah, I it really was not, the first not, because it, it it shocked a, it shocked a whole nation to go out there and yeah. suddenly here's the the idyllic view of what the Midwest is like and the idyllic view that people who grow up all wholesome and clean on farms are willing to just go shoot people for sport. Well, it it, it let's just say blew that out of the water yeah. <laughs> as it were. Well, it's like the um, Malcolm Gladwell novels. A bunch of my friends are up in arms because they're. He's not an actual detective. No, he's not. He's a writer. Okay, and he's writing about things that he has spoken to to people who are supposed experts, and he's presenting them publicly to you. But I would never go to Malcolm Gladwell and say, "Solve this, you know, solve this problem for me." Just as I would not go to Truman Capote and say, "You know, go be a detective." These right. are writers writing about other people's things and doing the best they can. Mm-hmm. I would also. I think we're yeah, we're running near our end of time here. Add one little line when you're writing right now, and I'm going to say that you caught me on this one because I wrote some about a crime the way it happened. Uh, my neighbor was murdered when I lived in Boulder, Colorado, 
And I was first one on the scene, first one when my hands were on the corpse's neck, first one to get yelled at in the bullhorn, please step away from the body with your hands up. And I wrote an exact description in my novel of what happened in that scene. And you were the ones who said, no, it's not realistic. It's, and I said, well, it's entirely realistic. It's dead realism. <laughs> but because there have been so many police procedural dramas, people are conditioned to believe that police are going to do all of the right thing in every circumstance in the right mm-hmm. order, ignoring the fact that we have an entire justice system proving that they mm-hmm. don't. Yeah. Um, uh, there, is, there is a huge difference between something being true and something being credible. Um, there is indeed. And, and, and it is the job of the novelist to be credible. Yes, even when writing about incredible things. Even so, yes. Yeah. Because yeah. it was all right to write about what happened, but I had to go back and explain why it would work that a barefoot woman, you know, standing outside would end up ordering policemen around. <laughs> it, that, that just wouldn't happen. Well, and, yes. and, and poor Dave Welsh, our sound engineer, who got fricked, frisked twice when I didn't get frisked Quite at all. Right. Because... Not everyone is you, Jeannie. I am just saying that if you have a hero, you're allowed to be heroic and do things that you just can't ordinarily do, especially because it's true in real life. Yeah, because the heroes in real life get away with it. The rest of us get frisked twice. So, Well, don't write yourself up as a sidekick that way. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, So that's the thing of the credible, I think, is important to say. Though I like the way you said that. Is it has to be credible? It has to be yeah. believable. It has to be. Yeah, the, I mean, it is. It is. It's the writer's weakest defense to say, but, but, but that's exactly how it happened. Right. Um, because your readers have not believed you. Yes. And consequently, you have done bad writing. And it's true. And I had to go back and explain yeah. her entire thought process yeah. and explain that this was a young cop and. We haven't had a crime here in years, and this guy's probably never had to deal with it in any way, and wouldn't a voice of authority go down well right about now? <laughs> I've got one of those. <laughs> yes. Well, and also looking at these days with the um, emphasis on uh, uh, cops wearing cameras and so mm-hmm. on, that when they're finally released to find out that no, not the official report, was the official report was not what really happened. And we're going to find that a lot. And I'm kind of looking forward to how that affects crime novels. Right. Frankly, over the next decade, as people start to see a lot more cases that have the difference between, you know, what they expect on TV and what they're actually seeing. Mm-hmm. Because remember, we even got to see the the people following the police around, you know, busting in doors and things yeah. and doing everything exquisitely correctly because yes. they had cameras on them. Yes. Now it's easy to forget if there's not a cameraman there. Right. Well, also the cameraman on the TV... They edit. They edit wildly. Uh, they. I, I just read a. I just heard a podcast on someone who followed. You know, who followed cops around and and, and dug into cops. What podcast was it? Was it called? I will tell you for the liner notes. Excellent. Um, but um, he discovered things like people didn't actually. Um, they showed them even. They said, "Here, sign the release." And if they didn't sign the release, they would still show them, or they thought. Signing the release meant they'd be let go. Oh. And so they Oops. signed the release, ended up on television on the worst day of their lives. Yes. And stuff. So that was fascinating. Okay, that was fascinating. Yeah. Just, and folks, just because it's on TV does not mean it's true. 
That is true. Well, I will grab the link from you, and we will put the link to stories and the other things we've mentioned on our website, which is www.ridersdrinkingcoffee.com. You can also find us on Facebook or Twitter, and we live for email, so please write to us. You've been listening to Writers Drinking Coffee, a labor of love and enthusiasm put together by the host. Our main web support magic is brought to you by Deirdre McGaffey Schween, and our sound engineer and backup web spider is David Welsh. Our intro music is Pretty Made Milking a Cow, and our exit music is Breakfast with the Morning Person, both by Michael Langberg. You can hear more from Michael Langberg on manyhatsmusic.com. Our podcast sponsor today is The Bean Scene, where a glorious place is to have coffee club in the morning. Bean Scene, Sunnyvale, California. Come visit us. <laughs>